Welcome to the Moments Podcast. We believe that every youth service should have three elements, worship, the word, and an exciting atmosphere. While we can't replicate our worship through song or our intense games on this podcast, we can certainly replay one of our favorite parts of the night, Pastor Wesley's message from God's word. So without further ado, here is this past Wednesday's Jesus Moment. you to know that this is church, but not as you know it. We want you to experience Jesus in the community that he created. And I realized that the time is 745 and I have 10 minutes to give a 25 minute message. So this is going to be interesting, but I think I can do that. <laughs> all about you, all about you. That's what we, why we sing these silly songs. That's why we make fun of these, these songs as Kai. So Gratefully said it, (laughs) but uh, man, I'm excited and I'm so pumped. There's nowhere else I'd rather be on a Wednesday night than with you guys. I I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Well, hey, I wanted to share a story, if that's okay. How many of you like stories? I love a good story. And uh, it's 10 o'clock at night. I'm in my house with my beautiful wife, Miss Gaby, Miss Nix, better name. (laughs) And she's, she's on TikTok. Any of you watch TikTok? Okay, I, I knew we had some, some people in the house. And she's watching TikTok, and she's watching this video, like, we're on the couch, and she's scrolling through videos. We're just chilling and, and, and just trying to unwind from a long day. And, and she came up across this video, and it's an American horror story. It's the name of my message, American Horror Story. And, and it's this old folklore story. Skylar just got so excited. I don't know why you're excited. The story is kind of scary. So there's this guy who's married. Okay, we're a young married couple. This guy is married, and his wife's arm gets amputated, like cut off. So they replace it with a golden arm, and it becomes her functioning arm. Okay, so she has a golden arm, like 24-karat golden arm. It's made up. She can use the arm. Okay, that's not how it normally works in real life. But anyways, her wife has this golden arm, right? And, I mean, it's just her pride and joy. And she says, husband, when I die, bury me with my golden arm. So she dies. And she's buried with the golden arm. And the husband falls on hard times. Let's say he's a carpenter. And Mr. Carpenter's struggling to get uh, business. And so he's like, I will do anything to get money. He's desperate. He is desperate for money. And so he finds his wife's grave, digs up the grave, takes the golden arm off the wife. And, you know, the wise thing to do is to take it to a pawn shop right away. But he's like, you know, I'm going to hold on to it for a few days, see what happens. So the story goes that he goes home the first night. It's starting to get a little eerie. Mind you, it's like 10 o'clock at night and KB and I are watching this. And I'm still confused as to why we're watching this at like 10 o'clock at night. But we're watching it. We're in. We're committed. So the next night comes, the next night comes, and eventually the man, one night, in the middle of the night, hears on his door. I'm like, okay, whatever, it's a show. And and the door starts to creak open, so he like, like, like he's ready, like what's about to happen. And he hears this little faint voice, where's my golden arm? And this like zombie, corpse-like being walks into the room. And so he runs up the stairs, and he goes into his bedroom, and he grabs his shotgun. No, he doesn't. He grabs a knife. No, he doesn't. He does the most logical thing a human being can do when a dead corpse is trying to attack you. He sits on his bed and throws the covers over him because that's going to fix the problem. 
And eventually his dead wife walks into the room and he like hands the golden arm because he'd been carrying it. He hands it under the covers. And the wife takes the arm and it's over. And the next scene, she's about to kill him. And it's over. And I start there for this reason. Like, like, like this wife's one desire in all of her life was this golden arm. It was her pride and joy. What she could have in this life was her pride and joy. And that pride and joy eventually became her husband's pride and joy. But what you demand out of life often leads to your demise. And we're reading in the book of Ecclesiastes over the next eight weeks. And I really, really, really want to just hone in on this one thought. Life without God is meaningless. Turn to your neighbor on your left and say, life without God. Say it again because you weren't loud enough. Is meaningless. Four people just died. And that's the number of people that I know personally that have committed suicide in the past year. Did you know that you have a 20% chance of making it out of college as a Christian? And you have a 60% chance probably of getting divorced. So if you haven't figured it out by now, life's pretty difficult. And the thing that I want you to walk away with tonight is that life without God is meaningless. I'm not just up here to share a folklore story and to laugh. I'm up here to get real serious with you guys. This is life and death. And it's not just life and death. It's life and death in eternity. And that's what Solomon wants us to realize that, hey, life without God is meaningless. And so I have five minutes to somehow preach all of this message, but I'm going to do it. King Solomon was known as the wisest man to ever live, and more than likely Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes titles itself as written by the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So more than likely it points to Solomon. More than likely it points to Solomon. And Solomon wanted us to understand that life without God is meaningless. And so Ecclesiastes simply says this. I don't believe I have the scripture for this up there because it's not the right verses. He says, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is absolutely futile. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And he goes on to say that there is nothing new under the sun. And he wanted us to realize that life without God is meaningless. It's meaningless. So how should we live in light of that? Well, I wrote down three things that you can find under the sun that Solomon would say are meaningless, and they come directly out of chapter 2. Solomon says that wealth without God is meaningless, that pleasure without God is meaningless, and that life without Jesus is meaningless, and status without God is meaningless. So what does it mean wealth without God is meaningless? Name somebody rich, somebody in the room. Name somebody that has a lot of money. Bezos, Bill Gates. I'm talking richest man in the world. There we go, my God, Elon Musk. Will he fight Mark Zuckerberg? Will he not? The world may never know. Two of you understand what I'm talking about, and that's okay. 
wealth without God is meaningless. And so I wrote this down. You know, growing up, I used to kind of be told the meaning of life is to be holy. Like as a Christian, your one job in life is to be holy. And I realized that's not necessarily true. Like they would say holiness over happiness, but they go hand in hand. Because true happiness is found in God alone. And listen, you can grow up to be wealthy like Elon Musk. You can grow up to have all of the trinkets and treasures and toys of this world. And fun is fleeting, but fulfilling is forever. Fun is fleeting, but fulfilling is forever. So you can have your best life now, or you can have your blessed life now and choose to follow Jesus. Friends, wealth without God is meaningless. A life without Jesus is meaningless, but not only is wealth without God meaningless, pleasure without God is meaningless. And that's not to say that these things are inherently bad, but if they are the the, the thing that you live your life for, something's wrong. Pleasure without God is meaningless. And there's an old saying that I was told growing up called drug, sex, and rock and roll. And essentially it comes down to substance, intimacy, and entertainment. And if you've ever seen those three in a society, it's our society. I think Zach shared at the beginning, kind of where they set up the night, that uh, substance abuse is a real thing. And God delivered him out of that. Jesus radically changed his life. He radically changed his life. By the way, I'm Pastor Wesley. If we haven't met, I just realized I didn't introduce myself. I'm the youth pastor. That's why I'm speaking. I'm not just some random dude that grabbed a mic. Or maybe I am. I'll let you figure that one out. Why do we go to substances to escape the pain? And the only reason we would feel like we have to to, to go to something to numb the pain is if we were not willing to face the pain itself. And friends, you need to realize that true peace is not found in the absence of pain or problems. It's found in the presence of Jesus. And maybe tonight you need to realize that when you start encountering God in his word, that's where healing takes place. That's where healing takes place. As you encounter God in his word and in community with other Christians, God begins to heal you. We sang the song, Jehovah Rapha, heal your body. Do you believe that God can heal you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Why do we chase intimacy? Oh, I want that girlfriend. Oh, I want that boyfriend. And the only reason you would find security in another human being is if you feel insecure by yourself. And friends, listen, as someone that's married, my wife doesn't complete me. She compliments me. Only Jesus can complete me. If you want to be like Miley Cyrus, if you want to date like Miley Cyrus, then don't be surprised when your relationship ends in divorce. If if you want to find meaning in life, it's found in the arms of Jesus. Why do we chase entertainment? Because we want to numb what's going on in our life. Y'all with me? Am I speaking to nobody? We chase entertainment because we like to numb the pain. And it goes back to, to the substance abuse. The only reason you would have to numb the pain or disconnect from the problems in this life is if you're not connecting to Jesus and allowing him to transform your life to help you get through the problems. Pleasure without God is meaningless. My third point, status without God is meaningless. What good does it do you to have the likes, comments, and follows of the 99 when you are already loved by the one that matters most? What good does it do you to have the likes, comments, and follows of the 99 when you are already loved by the one that matters most? 
We constantly chase the next season of life. I want to graduate. I want to be in high school. I want to be in college. I want a house. I want a wife. I want kids. I want to retire. And and it's not that those things are bad, but if, if God is not the center of it, it's meaningless. I want to drive. It's meaningless without God. Because status without God is meaningless. And I can't emphasize this enough. A life without Jesus is meaningless. Wealth without God is meaningless. Pleasure without God is meaningless. Status without God is meaningless. Listen, I just gave my message in 10 minutes. That's impressive. And I want you to understand something. I have so much more to give. I just don't have time. But I want you to understand something that maybe your decision tonight needs to be to come back to Jesus. You've been running from him. You've been struggling. School's back. Maybe tonight's the night you need to just come back. And if we looked at your life and your life was played on this screen, would you be proud or embarrassed? Would all that we see be your girlfriend or would it be Jesus? Would it be your best friend or would it be Jesus? Would it be TikTok or YouTube or would it be Jesus? What would be the thing giving you meaning in life? And for some of you, quite possibly, you don't even have true meaning in life because you don't truly have Jesus. And that needs to be the next step you take tonight is to give your life to Jesus. And so I want to ask that everybody bows their head and closes their eyes. No distractions, no talking. What an amazing group of people. I'd ask that everyone bows their head and closes their eyes. If you were to die tonight and you don't know if you would go to heaven or hell, on the count of three, I'm going to ask that you'd be bold and look up at me. You say, Wesley, I don't know if I go to heaven or hell. Nobody else in the room's looking. I just want to know. I'm not going to call on you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know so I can pray. If that's you on the count of three and you say, Wesley, I don't know if I go to heaven or hell, would you look up at me? One, two, three. Look up at me. And put your heads down. Now, if you say, Wesley, I want to give my life to Jesus. For real. I want to go to heaven and be with God. Well, you need to understand that you're a sinner, just like me. Okay, just like your parents, just like your family, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Nod your head if you've ever said something you shouldn't have. Nod your head if you've ever thought of something you shouldn't have. Listen, God says because you've done those things, you deserve to be punished, and that punishment's being separated from God forever in a place called hell. You say, Wesley, I don't want that. Then I'm going to ask that you right now call out to Jesus to save you. You can do just like I did when I was six years old. Listen, and this isn't magical. This prayer isn't magical. This prayer is simply you saying, I want God to come into my life and save me. I want to walk with Jesus. I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to go to heaven when I die. If that's you and you're serious about this, on the count of three, would you look up at me? I changed my mind. I want you to pray first. If that's you and you'd say, Wesley, I don't know if I go to heaven or hell. I want to give my life to Jesus. Pray these words, not out loud in your head. Say, God, I know I messed up, but I believe you sent your son to die on the cross for me. I give my life to you, Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed that on the count of three, would you look up? 
Nobody else looking. One, two, three. Look up at me. Put your heads down. They all look up at me. Everybody look up. Listen, if you just prayed that, that's the greatest decision you've ever prayed in your life. If you're like, Wesley, you've done this a hundred times, and this really isn't for you. You just need to trust that God's got you. Trust that God's got you. And for those of you that did look up at me, the Bible says the next thing you should do when you get saved and you give your life to Jesus is to get baptized. Baptism is like a wedding ring. My wedding ring is a symbol that I'm married to my wife. It doesn't make me married. It's a symbol of the covenant we have. Legally, I am married because we signed a piece of paper through a lawyer. And legally, you are saved because you've given your life to Jesus. Now wear the symbol and get baptized. Say, Wesley, how do I get baptized? Come talk to me after church. I would love to tell you how. Now, before I give away these AirPod Pros, I want you to know something. I was very serious about what I said 10 minutes ago. I am desperate for you to get this. I would literally give my life right now, and I mean that with everything in me, if it meant that you grasped this truth for the rest of your life. Let's see, how can I make a difference? How can I find meaning in God? Go to church. Will you stick for six? What does that mean? Will you stick around for six weeks to get to know the culture of our youth group, get to know me, get to know our interns, get to know our leaders? Will you come to church every Wednesday for six weeks? That's it. And if at the end of six weeks you're like, I don't know about this, I'll personally help you find another youth group. I will do that for you. I just ask that you give us six weeks. Not just on Wednesdays either. Say small groups. Say small groups. My people in the back, say small groups. Every Sunday after church, we go to the gym, we shoot ball, we hang out, we play the Wii. If we remember it, and Wesley doesn't forget, we feed you guys, and we split off, and you're with people your age and your gender, and we talk about how hard life is and how to grow closer to Jesus. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome. How many of you want friends and community in life? All right, like four of you. (laughs) I like friends. I like community. I don't like being lonely. You weren't created to be lonely. Kai's laughing because she's she's with me. You weren't created to be lonely. Was she running? (laughs) Her mom was probably here. Or they have to go to the bathroom. I guess it's the latter. Listen, say small groups. I ask that you'd commit the next six weeks to come every Wednesday you can. Go to small groups every Sunday that you can. I promise you it will change your life. Expect it. God will change your life in the next six weeks if you will come on Wednesdays as much as you can and on Sundays to church and small groups as much as you can. Something we say all the time is that there is nothing like being in the room on Wednesday nights. While we have tried to give you a glimpse of that, we encourage you to get the full picture with us and join us in the room this Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Moments Podcast.